Good morning, church. Oh, it is good to be with you today. I am glad that we're all here and we get to share in this time together. Uh, I want to mention a few family things here real quick. And so uh, we, we want to pray for them as well. Uh, as a church family, this is the way it always is uh, in a group this size. There are things to rejoice over and there are things to go and plead to the Lord over. And so we're going to do that together. So let's pray. Holy God, we are thankful that we have you uh, to bring all of who we are to. And Lord, we do come in here this morning, uh, whether or not we're broken or rejoicing, whether we feel uh, uh, full of joy or we're uh, suffering through hard times of depression or hardship physically or emotionally or spiritually. Lord, we, we bring all of these things of who we are and we bring them and lay them at your feet. Lord, we, uh, we want to start off with uh, reminding ourselves how thankful we are for your faithfulness. Lord, you have answered prayers in so many ways for people in this congregation, uh, the way that you did for Rod, the way that you did for Anna Thurman, the way that you continue to do that. And so, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your faithfulness, we thank you for your power, and we thank you for your love. And at the same time, Lord, we do ask that you would be with the Greens right now and uh, be with Brandon. And, Lord, um, the, the little bit of information we have is frightening. And so... Uh, more than anything, Lord, we ask that you would be with Bob and be with Diane. Let them feel your presence. Uh, at the same time, Lord, we ask that you would heal Brandon's body. Uh, Lord, we, we've got no other place to take these things except to the, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so it's to you that we bring this. Lord, we also ask uh, at this time that you would be with the, the church universal and the church here in Kerrville. Uh, it is more than just this building and it is more than just the people here. And in particular, Lord, I ask that you would be with Christ Church Presbyterian, uh, Billy Crane, uh, the pastor that's there. And Lord, give him the gift of preaching this morning. Let him bring good news to the people at that church and then let them go out and make a difference in this world. Lord, we're grateful for the unity that we have with those who call you Savior. And uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would bless them. And then finally, Lord, uh, we, uh, we plead and we beg. Uh, send us rain. Uh, we, we are in a... Uh, dry and parched land that thirsts so much for rain at this time. And so, Lord, we bring that before you, the one who has time and time again uh, sent what the world needs uh, and, and made it fall from the sky for free. Uh, at the same time, Lord, we ask that while we wait, that we are reminded of what it means to thirst for you. As we look at ground that is uh, dry and parched and dying, it is a reminder to us of what we are like without you. Lord, help us thirst for you and realize what it is uh, to not have you with us. But we don't have to worry about that because you have made a way and you are with us. And so, Lord, let us thirst for you to be near us in every way. And it's all of this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So we are going to be closing up uh, the series on John this morning. It's been a little bit. We studied John for a little bit, maybe for a few months. And today we're going to wrap it all up. Uh, I had some people look at the, uh, uh, the, the title of the sermon here and say, there's more. And they're like, man, are you, are you like adding chapters onto John now so you can continue going? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to add chapters onto this so that we can uh, keep going. But I also want us to take just a second and wrap this up to make sure that we remember that this has not just been an exercise over the last few months of reading the book of John so that you know John better. That's not the goal. If we leave this and all we're able to do is go, hey, I know more about the book of John than I did before, then we've failed. This is not about a transfer of information. This is about us being changed. 
This is about us knowing Christ more. This is about us trusting Christ more. This is about us becoming different people. And so more than anything, what I'd like for us to do is take a little time today and remind ourselves of what the, the Apostle John, in his old age, when he wrote all of this and put this together and said, if you want me to tell you what it meant to be around Jesus Christ, this is what it was. And you have a guy that's changed in the way that he did that. And we need to be people that are changed as well. And so we are going to kind of wrap things up today. But first, I want to tell you, I, I learned... Um, I learned what a cliffhanger was when I was 12 years old. You know, the idea of a cliffhanger. And it was when I went, and this is going to tell you a little bit about how old I am, but uh, when I was 12 years old and I went to a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. Okay? So there was Star Wars and then there was The Empire Strikes Back. And if you saw that movie, then The Empire Strikes Back ends with what they call a cliffhanger. There's this spot where you're like, man, all this stuff happened and you just kind of stop right there in the middle of it. But you also realize there's more to come. And that was the thing, right? I mean, that movie, you know, when you find out that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad. Am, am I giving stuff away? I, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Man, sorry. Sorry. Spoiler alert. But uh, when you find out that Darth Vader tells Luke, you know, I'm your father. And then they fight. And he cuts his hand off. And then uh, Han Solo gets frozen. And then... In the middle of all of that, they go, and that's the end of the movie. And I remember as a kid going, what? What? And it was going to be a long time before the next one was coming, right? It was going to be a long time before the next movie. And I found myself in this spot of going, oh, there's got to be more than this. And so on one hand, it left me with this hunger to know what's going to happen next. But at the other hand, it also gave me this hope because I realized there's going to be another movie. They're going to have to wrap all this up. So there's going to be more coming to this. It gave me this, this idea of what a cliffhanger was. And I'll tell you, in a lot of ways, I think this is the way that John ends his book. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in a lot of ways, what happens is they take their gospel and their story of Jesus, and they tie it up with a nice little bow that has the Great Commission where Jesus sends them out, and then the ascension of Christ, and then he goes. And it kind of feels like there's this nice little moment of closing right there, but John does things differently. And he's always done things differently. That's one of the things about this gospel is that things are a little bit different here. As a matter of fact, the way that he closes it is some in chapter 20 and some in chapter 21. As a matter of fact, it kind of feels like that he closes it in chapter 20 and then they go back and add chapter 21 and then he kind of closes it there too. So let me read if I can. We're going to be in John 20 and 21. John 20 verses 30 and 31. This is the way that chapter closes out. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then if you look in John 21, the next chapter, after Peter's restored, in verses 24 and 25, it says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, that's John, and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So what you have is John kind of finishing in the middle of some things. He doesn't tie it up in this neat bow. But one of the things that he does do is say, there's more. There's more to this story. 
There's a lot more that's going on here. As, as a matter of fact, to be able to say there's more things and there's more signs and all of it wouldn't fit. And Jesus is not just wrapped up in this gospel that I have. There's more of this. And for him to go, hey, you need to know I'm the witness. All of this that I wrote down, it's all true. Every bit of it is true. And not only that, there's more. There's more than what's written down here. And I love the Word, and I love the Scripture, and I know it's inspired by Christ, but to go, man, and there was even more that Jesus did that can't even be contained in here, even more than what we wrote down. And I think the reason that John does this in this way is because John is interested in telling an eternal story. It's a story that really has hardly any beginning and no end. If you think about this, even the way that John started his gospel on our first week when we were here, do you remember that all the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they want to start with John the Baptist. They want to start with the lineage of Jesus. They want to start, and John does something different. And he goes, in the beginning. See, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of everything, of creation, of everything. It's this eternal story that I want to tell you about Jesus. And it began long before any of us were alive at that time when John lived. It's this eternal thing. There's no real start date that he gives you, and there's no real end date that he gives you at the end of this. It started in eternity, and it ends in eternity. There's really no beginning and no end of all of this. And it's an idea for him to go, and that's who Jesus is. Always here. God in the flesh. Has always been, will always be. And that's what all of John is in every way. And it's hard for us because we live in a world where everything has a beginning and an end. There's a birth and there's a death. And there's nothing hardly in this world that doesn't decay or erode or die or rust. Even the mountains themselves erode over time. There's nothing that doesn't except for what John is trying to show us about Jesus. He does not die. He does not, uh, the, the kingdom does not rot, it doesn't rust, and it's not destroyed. We're not talking about mortal and physical and flesh. We're talking about spirit and truth. And that's why this has been up here so long. It's because John's going, I'm trying to tell you an eternal story. And it's things of the spirit, and it's things that are true. And they're always true. And they're eternal. They have no beginning, and they have no end. That's the story that John tells us. And not only that, he makes sure at the end of this to show that there's this mission that God's been on from the very beginning. And this mission continues on. And his mission is to reconcile the whole world. It's to bring all things back to the Father. The whole world we're in, the people that have lived before us, the people that live now, the people that aren't even born yet, every one of them, that is his mission, is to bring all things back to the Father and to reconcile them in the way that they are supposed to be. Now, the neat thing about this and the way that it's shared is that Jesus' part of the story on earth is really fulfilled. It's done. The death, the burial, the resurrection, his part's done, and it doesn't have to be done again, ever. It's taken care of. That part has been done. But then there's a handoff. That's when he says, as the Father sent me, now I'm going to send you. So I'm handing the mission off to you. The mission continues. This mission to bring all things back to the Father for our Heavenly Father to have a table where all the seats are filled, where all the babies are back home. You know that feeling? 
That feeling, I've learned it more as my kids have grown bigger, is to sit at a table and to see where there's empty chairs. And then there's something about when your kids come back and they're filling those chairs again. And everybody to be back there. That's the desire of our Heavenly Father is to have everyone back. So the ascension of Christ when he went back to heaven is not the end of his mission. It doesn't end right there. It's the launch of our part. This is the part where he says, now, I give this to you and go and make disciples. As a matter of fact, the way he says it in John 14, a few chapters before this, is he's telling ahead of time, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Greater works than what I've done. Here's what I'm handing off to you. Here's how the mission continues. You're going to go, and you're going to do these amazing things. And that wasn't just for 12 guys that were hanging around Jesus at the time. That's for us. That's what he calls us to. You're going to go and you're going to take what I've done and you're going to take it to the rest of the world. So what that means is we are not just a people who have had our, pick, our ticket punched for eternity. We haven't been sold a ticket and go, hey, we're going to click this. Someday when all this is over and this mess is done, you get to go to heaven. And that's what it means to be a follower. That's not right. That's not who we are. We're not people who get in here and go, thankfully I'm saved, let's all hunker down while this world is a mess and we're waiting for it to end so that we can go and experience the kingdom of God. We're missing the point if that's what we're thinking. The kingdom of God is here. We're beginning now. Eternity starts now. That's what we have. There's more. This is John going, there's more to this story. You need to know there's more. Jesus has made the way. When he did when he went to the cross and was resurrected, when death was defeated, when sin was defeated, and then his ascension, he goes, look, I have made the way. The path is cleared. It is ready for all those to come back to the Father. There's more. Now you go and take that. And it's not just to know more, and it's not just to obey more. The mission of Jesus is not just one that is for us to know more and obey more. It's more than that. It's even more than that. So that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes today. Our role in what Jesus leaves for us in the kingdom is really two-part. He leaves us two things. He goes, I'm going to give you a practice, and I'm going to give you an assignment. And for those of y'all that are starting school, this may sound very familiar in the way that this goes, but here's what he's going to do. I'm going to give you a practice, and I'm going to give you an assignment. And you need to know, they're connected. They are, they are so interdependent, they rely on each other. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. You can't do one without the other one. Practice that he's giving us is to follow him. The whole idea is to go, hey, here's what I'm handing off to you. Here's your part in the mission. You follow me. You continue to follow me. No matter what, you look for me and you follow me. Always following. It is a continual and perpetual motion for us is to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, the way that John starts and ends his gospel is with the call to follow me. If you think about it, he gets to the disciples, and the first thing that he says to them at the beginning of John is he finds them, and he goes, hey, come follow me. And then the last chapter that we have of John, after Peter's messed up, and he's denied him, and he's wondering whether or not he's worthy to be part of Jesus' circle, Jesus' mission, anything to do with God, what happens is Jesus finishes with, come follow me. Come follow me at the beginning. For those of us that have originally been called those of us that feel, remember that time when we were called to Christ into baptism to follow him. And then the call has always been the same. Now follow me. I belong to you. Now what? Now follow me. 
Now I'm getting older in my years. Now follow me. You continually stay there and follow me. That's what we do. And it's more than just knowing about him, and it's more than just knowing about Scripture. It is a hunger and a thirst to be near him. That's what we desire. That's what it means to follow. Follow is not just something you check off a box and go, well, I went to church, and so I'm following. This is something where we have this, this thirst. I keep thinking about this, and I, you know, we just mentioned this. This drought that's going on, I mean, you can feel it. You can feel what's happening out there. I go and look out around the, the ground, and it's all dead, and it's dying, and it's wasting away, and the wind comes, and it just kind of blows it away. Meanwhile, there's all these deer that are running around all over the place getting skinny, and you can see their ribs, and things are hungering, and they're thirsting because they don't have what they need to live. And isn't it something that our Savior comes and goes, I'm food and I'm water. I am what you need. And if you don't have it, this is what happens. I've been so reminded of the number of times that we're told to thirst for righteousness, to thirst for our Heavenly Father, to thirst for our Savior. And if nothing else, I wonder if maybe the Lord is allowing this to be a reminder for his people to go, I'm just reminding you to thirst for me. I'm reminding you what it's like if you don't have me and how bad that we need him. It's this constant abiding this staying as close to him as possible. That's what it means to follow him, is to go, wherever you're going, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. I want to stay as close to you as possible. I want to be people of the way. You know, that's what they were originally called. The followers of Jesus were called people of the way. And that's a continual motion. What do we do? We walk the way, the way of Jesus. It's this communion that we constantly do, that we just did again, is to remind us we want to be near you. We want to be fed by you. We want to stay right near you. We want to love you. It's this desperate desire to be near Christ. Not doing more, but loving more and trusting more and clinging to Jesus more in the difficult times and in the good times. That's what we do. That's what it means to follow. We stay right next to him. And we crave it. We can't get enough of it. We have to have it. And the only way to do that and to really be able to follow him in his mission is to have your heart changed. It's not something that you can just work on. It's something that has to change within you. You have to have a heart change. Because it's not just a mental belief in what Jesus did. It's a lived-out belief. Can you tell the difference? Right? There's a difference between those things. Like, I believe that there's a country called China and a land. I've never been. I don't live that out. I just have this kind of mental belief that it exists, right? But you need to know, I haven't been there. I've never lived that out. And frankly, China asks nothing of me, so it's really easy to believe. There's, there is nothing that's reliant on me believing in that. I don't have any skin in that game, whether or not it exists. Someday, I hope to go, and that will change things. But just to believe as a mental exercise means nothing. As a matter of fact, you know, that's something that James says. So, you know, you believe, great, so do the demons. They believe and shudder. That's not the same as following. That's not the same as having a hunger and a thirst for Christ. See, a mental belief that is not a lived-out belief is the sort of thing that leads us to, well, I'm afraid that really following Jesus, he may ask too much of me because i got a lot going on right now, and I'm pretty busy, and I just don't have that. I don't have that time for that. And you haven't been changed. 
See, that's a mental belief. That's not a lived-out belief, and it's an entirely different thing. What we want to have is a love and a trust of Christ that continues to grow, always growing. It's, it's really interesting. You know, if you even take the story that John's got in the way that he lays it out, you'll see this eternal story, and it's all of our stories in so many ways. Where, where you land on it may depend on how much uh, you have given yourself over to Christ. But if you look at this story in the way that he tells him, it's our story. Even the I am statements. You remember we went through all of these I am statements where Jesus said, I am this, I am that. If we go through these, look at how this is our story. In chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. That's him saying, you have a hunger in you that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. And I'm the only one that can fill that hunger. In chapter 8, he says, I'm the light. That's the thing that we first saw. That was the thing that attracted us is when we saw the light in Christ. And he says, what I do in that is I reveal what's true about you. I will illuminate the truth of who you are and who I am. In chapter 10, he says, I'm the gate. That's because there's a way into a new kingdom that I'm calling you into. It's this kingdom that changes everything. It's the gate that goes for the, the hopeless into the hope-filled from those who wander into a place of home to go from death into life. That's the gate, and that's only through me, and that's what I'll do. Chapter 10 again, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll be the one who guides you. I'll be the one who leads you. You can follow me, and you can know that it's okay, and you don't need to be afraid because I'm a caring shepherd, and I'm a loving shepherd, and you can follow me because where I'm leading you is a place to life. And then in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Because here's where I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you to a place where you are, a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's where the shepherd leads you to, is this resurrection. You're a new person now. Chapter 14, he says, the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm going to show you how to walk now. I am the way to show you how to walk. There's a new way of walking, and it's walking in an eternal truth. And it's walking in an eternal life. And then in chapter 15, he says, and I'm the true vine. So after I've led you to this place of resurrection and newness, and you're walking in the truth, you need to know, hang on to me. I'm going to be the source for everything for you. You cling tightly to me. This is where you'll be nourished. This is how I'll make fruit in your life. This is what it means for you to constantly follow me, for you to abide in me. That's our story. All of us. Hungering for bread. Seeing the light, walking through the gate, following the shepherd, being resurrected, walking in a new way that is truth and life, and then clinging to the vine. This is who we are, and it's eternal. We will always be doing this. This is not about what Jesus just said one day. We have not studied John so that you can know that a long time ago, Jesus said these words. That's not what this is. This is what he does. It's what he continues to do. And when we understand that and we grasp onto that and we see the magnitude of it, that's when our hearts start to change. Because we've been given a heart that's different than it was before. It's not the same. If you go through all of these things, if you follow Jesus through all of this, you can't be the same. You can't. You have to have this belief that is a lived-out belief. It's not just a mental belief. We have to be these people that hunger and thirst for Christ. 
and realize that the hungers and the thirst of this world are never going to satisfy us. We need to want more. We need to be like Mary in so many ways that he talked about in John. To want to sit at his feet. And when people call us away and go, you need to get busy, to go, no, I want to stay here. I want to stay at the feet of Jesus. I can't get enough of this. I don't want to leave. I think it's wonderful, too, that Mary, when she sees the resurrected Jesus, the first thing he says is, you can't cling to me right now. Why? Because that's what she wanted to do. That's who she was. I'm going to cling to my Savior. I'm going to hang on to him. I'm not going to let go. I can't get enough of this. See, we don't come here to check a box. We don't come here just to sing and pray because it's some sort of marching orders for us. We're people that were changed eternally and by eternal things. And so this is our practice. This is what he's given us. You follow me. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on for us. And we get to rejoice. We get to see what real worship is because we rejoice and we're awestruck at the tremendous grace and love of our Savior and his act of sacrifice for us. And then we can't help but worship. That's what it is. It's the overflow of changed hearts. That's what it is here. It's not a line on a piece of paper for us to fill in. This is people with changed hearts overflowing with gratitude, with thanks, with wanting to be near him. So that's the practice he gave us. You follow. You keep following. Now here's the assignment that he gave us. He says there's this assignment too. And the assignment is for you to go. I'm sending you. I want you to go. And this is the interesting thing because you can't follow him without going and you can't go without following. That's how interconnected these two are. These two are. If you go without following, then here's the deal. If you decide, well, I'll just go, but I don't need all of this following Jesus and sitting at his feet all the time, you're going to end up in the wrong place. What you'll start doing is chasing the things that build your own kingdom. You'll start looking for your own success and a way to glorify your own name. And then you'll just be lost again. You'll be at this place where you don't understand why you can't satisfy that hunger again that Jesus said he's the bread. And if you follow him without going, then you're going to miss him. Because that's the other part. You can't go, I follow Jesus, but I'm not going to go out and tell anybody about it. And I'm not going to go into the world and show people about it. Because here's the deal. If you try and follow him without going, you're going to miss him. Because that's where he is. He's out there. He's always been there. The incarnation of Jesus is the idea that he went from perfection, per perfect unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and decided that I'm going to come into the place where there's a mess. I'm going to come to the people that need me. That's where I'm going to go. And that's where he still is. And so that's where we go. If we try to be followers without going, then what happens is we'll build this nice building and we'll try and escape from the rest of the world that's broken. And then what comes from that is this us and them mentality. There's those of us that belong and then there's those of them who don't. And I want to stay with the ones who do. But here's the problem. That's not how Jesus talked about it. Jesus didn't leave, and right before he left, he doesn't tell the world to go to church. He tells the church to go to the world. That's the mission. You go to them. You do what I've been doing. You do the mission that I've called you here. We didn't just join a club and then forget about it and wait for it to be done. We could just sit in our clubhouse and talk about how the rest of the world's a train wreck and I don't want to get any of it on me. That's not how Jesus operated. He got all of it all over him. 
all the time. So what we do is we get to see that we're part of this new kingdom. But we don't just talk about a new kingdom. We actually take that kingdom with us. We don't just stay in the fold. We don't just stay in the house. We usher people into the kingdom. We get to help lead them to it and show them. See, this is one of the things that I think sometimes we get lost with is we, we go, there's this new kingdom, and I'm in this new kingdom. And so I can go around and tell people, hey, did you know there's this new kingdom? It's like telling people about Hawaii. Did you know that in Hawaii the weather's always nice? And did you know that there's not any bugs? And did you know that the food is really great? Did you know that? And, and I don't want to just tell people about a place that's great. What we get to do is we get to stand in the kingdom, and the kingdom goes with us, and then we get to be at the gate and go, here, it's right here. Amen. This is where life is. Amen. This is where hope is. This is where a changed heart is. This is where he'll make you perfect. This is where perfect love is. It's right here. And we get to beckon people and go, come. Come to the place of life. Because let me tell you, out here, man, there are all kinds of promises. But there is no follow-through to give you what you actually hunger for. This kingdom we're in is one of spirit and of truth. And so it's not always visible to the naked eye. It's hard for people to see it sometimes, and so we have to show them. This is what it looks like. We take it and we live it out. And that's how we get to take it to the rest of folks, because that's where his heart is. The one that we follow, that's where his heart is. It's with those who need him. And, and if we don't, then what happens is we kind of get confused if we have this us and them mentality. And if we just want to sit here, we'll get confused about who's the enemy and who's not. Because let me tell you, the folks in the world that don't know Christ are not the enemy. They are prisoners of the enemy. And we are supposed to be the folks that are showing them, here's how you get out of that jail, man. Jesus made a way. They're not the enemy. They're prisoners of the enemy. And the fact is, every one of us was too. Until Jesus came and he made the way back for us. He came and he got us and he broke us free was a prisoner of the enemy. And now I'm not. And let me tell you, when you get to be a part of that, and you get to share that with people, and you watch Christ change lives in that way, that's what we were made for. That's who we're supposed to be. That's, what, that's really the only thing's worth giving your life to. Something like that is actually worth giving your life to. That's what took a bunch of scared guys that were running around with these disciples and made them be people that are brave enough to go, I'm not changing my story no matter what. You want to threaten me with torture? You want to threaten me with death? No problem. I am not changing my story. I've seen some things. I've watched some things happen. I've encountered a resurrected Christ. That's what's worth giving your life to. Getting church right isn't worth it. Just knowing scripture, it's not worth it. Walking every day with Christ, having a love for him that is overpowering, clinging to him, abiding in him, that's what's worth giving your whole life to. It's worth it. It's worth making changes in how you spend your time and how you spend your money and what conversations you have and who you're willing to spend time with. That's worth it. Change, transformation, miracles. And it's not just worth it for us as individuals. This is what we do as a people. 
This is what we do as a church. This is what we've been called to as a group of people is to say what we're going to do is we're going to continue the practice of following him. And with that, we understand that we're being sent. And so we're going to go and we're going to share that. And how are we going to do it? How do we keep following? How do we keep sharing? What are the ways in which we're called to be able to do that? We need to keep asking because that's what it means to be a follower. So you're constantly following your rabbi, going in every way to fulfill what he's called us to do and to be part of his mission. With that, I want you to know uh, we've been doing some thinking about that. We have an announcement. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to one of our elders now to talk to us about fulfilling our role as Christians in this world. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to James, if you'd like to come up here. I saw the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from every I'm still James Pendleton, even now that it's on. I'm a shepherd. I'm blessed to serve as a shepherd here at KCC. And I am here representing my fellow shepherds in reading the following announcement. In March of this year, we approached Scott and told him that we feel like it's time to seek God's guidance for our future here at KCC. We want to discover God's will for our church and how we can join him in his mission to reconcile the entire world. After much discussion and prayer, we were certain that this is a journey that we wanted to invite the entire congregation to join in. We began by asking God to put on our hearts some people from the congregation who could help guide us in this process. We felt the Lord answered us clearly and we approached 10 people who agreed to be a part of this focused team. This team began to meet with Scott at the beginning of the summer and they have been praying for this church and coming up with ways for all of us to seek God's guidance. Their role is not to come up with a vision, to make decisions for the church, or to give us a direction. They are simply to provide strategic guidance of the visioning process. These brothers and sisters of yours are servants to this church and they are helping us to engage the church in asking God what he wants for us. I'd like to introduce them to you now and ask that you be in prayer for them now and in the months to come. As I call your name, would you please stand? Krisha Alby, back D.R. Coleman, Jana Fox, Caitlin Riley, Allison Robertson, Randy Rose, Clark Sayer, who's back with the children, Doug Winters, 
Peggy Wireman, and Carolyn Worley. We thank you for your servant hearts and your efforts to help us seek his will. You can be seated. Over the next several months, we will all join together in asking God to give us a vision for this church that is pleasing to him. This season of time, we will call Seeking His Way. This is not our vision statement. This is how we're going to seek God's guidance in giving us a vision. You will be seeing this logo all around KCC to remind us what we're doing. The logo represents a path that we have not yet been given, a lens that we seek to make our way and a scripture. Psalm 34, four, I sought the Lord and he answered me. We believe that God promises us that we will hear his voice if we seek him and we will be doing just that. We will do this in three phases. The first phase is called ask, and it begins today. We will be going before the Lord to ask him to guide us and lead us through his Holy Spirit. We will ask him, and then we will be still and listen for his voice. We will listen to the Holy Spirit, to scripture, to each other, and to some outside of our church. We will be praying and listening regularly in our worship gatherings, in small groups, in classes, as individuals, and we will organize special events and times for us to pray and to listen. Scott's sermons will be centered around how we are asking God for guidance and how we will listen for his voice. Beginning next week, our Sunday morning classes will coordinate with the sermons to be times of discussion and listening to one another. We will also be providing discussion topics and scriptures for small groups. We encourage each and every one of you to be a part of a small group or a Bible class so that you can be a part of this very important journey. When the time is right, we'll move into phase two, which is the time for us to discern. This will be the process we use to sift and focus all of what we have heard. We will look for common threads concerning the qualities and characteristics of what we feel God is leading us to. We will look for what God is already doing and how we can join him in his work. We will need to be a people of grace and patience and wisdom to discern what he is specifically guiding this church to be. The third phase is the follow phase. This is where we will take what he has said and put into practice. If we're going to ask the Lord to lead us, we need to be prepared to follow. This will require us to be a church that is faithful, courageous, and sacrificial. 
This is when we will create a spirit-led practical plan of action that will draw all of us to follow where he has led us. We sincerely believe that going through this process over the next several months will not only lead us to a clear vision for our future as a church, but that we will be transformed in the process. We will be drawn closer to God and each other. We will love him and each other more. Humbling ourselves and asking for our master to lead us is what disciples do. We want to make something clear. We aren't doing this because there's anything wrong with this church. We know that our God is alive and here with us. We just want to make sure we are focused on what he wants us to do. This is how the body of Christ goes forward, seeking and following his will. We also want you to know this is not about issues. We're not seeking answers to questions about specific issues or practices. We desire to be the people that he wants us to be. After the Holy Spirit has revealed that, we will discuss how to live that out. It is very important to us that you know we want your input and we want to hear from you. But for right now, we ask you to wait and pray and listen to the Holy Spirit before giving your input. We want all our discussion to be centered around what God desires for us. After all, we are seeking his way, not our own. Our focus team and the elders will be giving regular updates and sharing feedback on this process and how the Spirit is leading us. There will be more information coming in the following weeks with how we will seek his way. After worship today, the elders, ministers, and members of the focus team uh, will be up front if you have any questions. We may not have any answers, but we'll find those answers. For now, we ask that you be in prayer for our church. May we be a people that is always, always, always seeking his way. Amen. I'd like uh, Butch Dixon, one of our other shepherds, to come forward and lead us in prayer at this time. couple of things God put on my heart to say uh, before I came up here. Uh, I love the, the thought, the statement that Scott had that the world wasn't asked to go to church. The church was asked to go to the world. And so I'd like to see that plastered on every wall around here uh, to remind us uh, what a wonderful thought. Uh, also, I would like to recognize Scott for being such a great facilitator. We've all met William, the model who models models. Scott's the facilitator who facilitates facilitators. Uh, Shelly and I uh, attended the last session, and I love the way that he primes the pump and gets out of the way. So I do want to recognize Scott and his part of this process as well. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for willing servants. 
those who love you and are willing to serve you. We'd like to pray for them this morning. We'd like to pray for Krisha and DR and Jana, Caitlin, Allison, Randy, Clark, Doug, Peggy, and Carolyn. We indeed thank them for their willing hearts, but we thank you for giving them those willing hearts, and we pray that as we move forward, we will encourage them as they uh, move through this process and help us to grow closer to you. We ask that uh, we will earnestly seek his will, that he will make that will known to us, that we will be changed during this process and drawn closer to him and to one another. We ask earnestly for him, for his guidance, and that we will wisely discern what he is calling us to do, and that we will courageously and faithfully follow wherever he may lead us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.